This episode of Things Cooks Know is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout to get 10% off. And by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a video learning service where you can find wonderful courses about cooking, history, music, science, almost anything you're interested in. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash cooks to get started. Humphreys, the executive editor of Real Simple, a busy stepmother of two, and an amateur cook who loves to cook but has lots of questions. And I'm Sarah Karnasevich, the food editor of RealSimple.com, a professional cook and a working mom who tries to give you all the answers. This is a sad day at Things Cooks Know. So if you've I, listened to what? I would say it's bittersweet, right? We knew this day would come. I was just talking to our lovely engineer, Kristen, about it, and I was saying I'm really sad. But anyway, if you've listened to us before... You know that our lives are really busy, and I would I would venture to say sometimes borderline chaotic, correct? Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. And that's both in work and in home. And so after a year or so of weekly tapings of this beloved podcast, we're putting down our knives and we're ending. Yeah, we're stepping away for now at least. For now at least. Anyway, we wanted to wrap up in a way that would... Well, selfishly, give me, but also give listeners a way to move on and have the tools, literal tools we need to be successful, happy, and efficient in the kitchen, even if we don't have you, Sarah Kay, to help us out anymore. Totally. And I just, you know, I thought that we could keep it pretty casual on this last episode and just sort of, I mean, we can talk some specifics, but I really thought it would be useful to kind of like maybe find a way to sum up some of the things that we've talked about over the last year in kind of like a unified theory of... <laughs> right. So it's, like, it's actually less tools and it's more mantras. Yeah. It's like, here are the like the 10 kitchen commandments that you can like, you know, tape up on the inside of your cabinet and take with you like anytime you need to do some like deep breathing exercises or anything instead like that of, in Instead of calling you. Yes. Please okay. don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be busy. Yeah. Okay, so let's just start. And this one I actually wrote down, and then I wanted you to elaborate on it, because this is what I think about all the time with all of these episodes, is don't try so hard. Everyone should stretch themselves a little bit sometimes. But I think more the point is cooking shouldn't be punishment. And it's a time, you know, making a meal, making food for yourself or for your family or your friends. It's a time to nourish yourself and people you love. And even if that means you're eating cheese and crackers, it doesn't have to be white tablecloth, hit it out of the park every time you sit down at the table. And I think that we, there's this, you know, strain of feeling in like the food culture of late that is really, everyone has to go out all, all out all the time and, you know, chef worship and all of these things like you're not a chef you don't have a team of people prepping for you definitely not think about what good home cooking means and how simple that can be and don't set the bar too high for yourself every day of the week I also just always I try at least when I'm slaving away on the weekends and 
like not wanting anyone to talk to me and wishing we had some sort of like panel divider between the kitchen and everything else so no one bothers me. It's like not a great way to be. Yeah, it's like not really what you want to, the, the feeling you want to feel on your downtime on the weekend. And I'm guessing the guests feel it too. Yeah. Just, just, a, just a theory. <laughs> and so I do, tr- I'm trying very hard to remember that when I'm at someone else's house and they're doing that, it makes you feel really uncomfortable and you'd much rather have them put out cheese and crackers and sit down with you and just hang out yeah. than have them be antisocial and then serve you something that's taken them hours and they're like exhausted and whatever. Totally. And, you know, we've talked a lot and a, a lot of different occasions on the show in the last year about like the idea of not doing everything yourself. Like maybe you pick a small part of a meal to do and then you can use like things that you can shop for, for, a, you know, another two thirds of it yep. or assembling kind of like picnic dinners and things like that. I think embracing that kind of fun and spontaneity sometimes can be like a really good way to reboot yourself in the kitchen to kind of not make it a chore. And, and that's, that's, I think more than anything, like what we're trying to get down to here is that like cooking, I, there was some study, I, saw a couple days ago that like someone released saying that the the best thing that you like one of the number one things you can do for your health is to cook more at mm-hmm. home and I think that it can have great mental health benefits as well as you know physical health benefits and if you want to get it in your life more you you shouldn't put up roadblocks so do you have a website <laughs> I so don't <laughs> Wait, you're not coding? I, I'm not. I'm not yet coding. No, I know. I don't even have. I don't even have my own domain name. But you just I'm got married, didn't you? I got married like a year ago, and I did actually consider making a wedding website. And I asked my most tasteful, evolved friend that I know, who had just gotten married, and she actually recommended using Squarespace for the wedding website. And it was. It looked easy enough for even you to handle. Even me. <laughs> Until I realized I just didn't have enough information to actually make a website. But hers was really, really beautiful. No, it is really great. I have been using it to update my Stone Age personal website. (laughs) The Flintstones website. Yeah, which was last tended to in, I think, about 2006. So it is older than my child and definitely needs a refresh. (laughs) I would be getting nowhere if it weren't for Squarespace. It makes it really easy. If we have convinced you that it's easy enough to build your own website, and if we can do it, you can do it. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout and you'll get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Okay, the second commandment to leave us with is about kids. Yes. So, and look, I mean, I'm this is 2020 hindsight here because I definitely have uh I have agonized over this myself and I continue to do it sometimes, but I think this is something that I need to tell myself, so I'm going to say it to you and to everyone else too, which is that if your kids are giving you a hard time and they're being picky or they're picky all the time and it seems like they don't want to eat anything you're making and you find yourself trying to cook three different things at every meal, um, just take a step back and remind yourself that on any given day, if your kids don't eat dinner or lunch or whatever, they're not going to starve. Right. Um, And 
you don't you should not completely rearrange your life um, around their habits. They are changeable beasts. They will always be changing, and what they'll eat one week might be completely different from the next, and it's all about the long game. And please don't consign yourself to a life of cold, buttery pasta because of them. Yes, and also don't um, – oh, gosh. we <laughs> The thing right now with breakfast with my stepson is he's just decided he's he likes cereal. Like he he was anti – you know, whatever. It changes every, every five minutes. Right. But – the thing he thinks is hilarious is you pour him a bowl of cereal and then he lets it sit and get and soggy gross, and then yeah. he says, I'm, I, don't, I don't like this. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I don't eat soggy cereal. I think our, our children have been speaking. Apparently. Yeah. Um, and so what happens, the reason he does it, though, is not just because he likes, doesn't like soggy cereal. It's because he likes me having to put it – You know, in New York, there are no garbage right, like scrape disposals. it into the – So you, yeah. I pour it in the sink. To me, soggy cereal is the most disgusting thing on the planet. Like, I don't eat cereal because I don't, I, I don't like milk touching it. <laughs> so, for me, I have to scoop it out with my hands and put it in the trash. He is literally on the floor cackling, laughing. So, again, yeah. they're, and then they're I, little manipulators. I know. And then yeah. what do I do? Oh, I give them a fresh new bowl. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they will not starve if you don't refill their bowl with unsoggy cereal. Exactly. Speaking of trash compactors, things in kitchens that you don't have or you don't have a lot of space. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it was one of our earliest episodes we talked about, like, cleaning out the crap in the kitchen. Yeah. Like, the things that really you do not need that are cluttering your workspace. And Like, I still have that ginormous juicer. Exactly. Yeah. Which I shouldn't. And, you know, I just want to reiterate, I guess, that you don't need a lot. You don't need, like, a fancy kit to be a good home cook. Amazing things can happen in a tiny kitchen. And I speak from experience having for years and years and years worked in this field, uh, working on recipes at home in a kitchen that had one square foot of counter space. And, you know, was it ideal? No. But it does teach you a lot about efficiency and disciplined use of space and, you know, learning how to cook with the fewest <laughs> things possible and and you you will find yourself using the same tools over and over again you know after a while you'll get in a rhythm and you you notice that there's one wooden spoon that mm-hmm. you always want to yep, use yeah that's true and there is there might be a couple of mixing bowls that are just like the sweet size yeah. like and and that's really all you need you know a couple of good bowls and a couple of spoons, a nice sharp knife, versatile knife, and, you know, good cast iron pan, maybe another nonstick pan. You can make almost anything in those. A baking sheet. There you go. How many things is that? Six? Well, I also think that just like a Real Simple, we always tell people in their closets, you know, everybody tells people this This is not a Real Simple specific piece of advice, but that, you know, if you haven't worn something in a year, get rid of it. And yeah. you can even do your thing where you turn out, you know, you you flip the hangers in one direction and then when you wear something, you flip it in the other direction. And then by the end of, you know, a specific amount of time, you take out the things that aren't flipped. You could do the same thing with your kitchen. I mean, I feel like if you just take note of what you're using and mm-hmm. what you're not using and then just put those things aside that you're not using. And sure enough, when you don't miss them, you can get rid of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it pays to invest in the things that have multiple functions. I mean, you know, I'm obsessed with my cast iron skillets, but that's because you can do so many things in them. You could make 
pizza in them. You can bake cakes in them. You can roast a chicken in them. You can, you know, stir fry in them. It's it's a multi-purpose tool that you can just leave on your stove and use over and over yep. again. It's so cheap. And yeah, it's and it's indestructible. One of the things I love about cooking is that you're always learning. I feel like when I'm in the kitchen, no matter how long I've been doing it, I'm always learning something new. And like so many of you, when it comes to food and cooking, I'm always looking for the next great tip and the next great idea and so I can tell you about it too. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about this new video learning service, The Great Courses Plus. Have you heard about it, Sarah? I have just heard about it recently and I know that they have courses on everything history, art history, sciences, and they also have and courses cooking. on cooking. Yeah. And there's one course I really want to tell you about. It's called The Everyday Gourmet, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Cooking. They cover a lot of things that we talk about here. Everything from great tips on cooking tools to instructions about how to prep different ingredients, new recipes to try, different cuisines to explore. It's really great, and it's taught by real-deal chefs, people who have come out of the Culinary Institute of America and have years and years of experience under their belt. And now The Great Courses Plus is offering a chance to stream hundreds of their courses, including the Everyday Gourmet. That's a $235 value for free when you use the special URL. So go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash cooks. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash cooks. All right, number four. I think this topic is maybe the topic we've talked about, or you, excuse me, you have yeah, talked about. Yeah, my obsessions are showing. The most on the show. Eggs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You like, cannot get enough of eggs. I can't. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm. I know you're. I'm meh. Yeah. Um, okay. You have some hangups about. I do have some. I do have some hangups. I feel like eggs are like a holy ingredient, and when you're thinking about simple cooking and feeding yourself and your family well and frugally and deliciously, eggs come up again and again. And it's one of those things that, like, if you have eggs in your fridge, you can always make something good to eat. And uh, they're kind of magical that way. And so I I will never stop proselytizing (laughs) about eggs. I can't tell you the number of nights a week that at least one, and then this is a hand to God in all honesty, at least one night a week I I eat an omelet for dinner. And that is just because it's like, you know, taken forever to put my son to bed. And it's 9 o'clock at night. And... My husband's working late, so I'm like a solo diner, and if it's often between, oh my god, do I call and get like pad thai at mm-hmm. nine o'clock at night, which I know I will regret tomorrow, and or do I just look in the fridge and see what odds and ends of cheese and herbs I have? I know I'm gonna have some eggs, and uh, what you know, maybe throw some spinach in there if it's a really fancy night, <laughs> um, and make an omelet. And, have a glass of wine or two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's one of my things I um, that is not on your list, but it should be. We, on well, my you should list, add it. Which is not cutting things with knives and drinking a glass of wine can mix. 
but you have to be careful. Okay, well, this clearly comes from experience. Yeah, this weekend. I mean, I'll show you. Like, you can't, <gasps> it's going away. It looks like I had, like, I literally, it's 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 a cut across my wrist, if you must know. And and then there's one on my thumb, too. How did so, you cut your wrist? I don't know. That's so, a, what we, were you doing with the knife? I went to this dinner party of this guy. I think I mentioned him before. He's, like, the most amazing cook. So you go to his house, and it's, like, full-on restaurant. So this time it was, like, it was post-St. Patrick's Day, but he had this Irish feast Corned beef, boiled potatoes, parsnips, turnips, parsnips, one of those, cabbage, and like 20 different kinds of mustard. And so I always make dessert for these parties because he doesn't, he's like totally anti dessert. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like it. He doesn't eat it. He doesn't, whatever. So this time I made this um, chocolate stout cake from Nigella Lawson. Oh, so good. Oh my gosh. Ama- like amazingly good. So I hadn't made it before. I made that. And I was in charge of serving dessert. And I, we probably had, I'd probably, <laughs> we were there for a while. We You'd had, had a like, few. A few. And I grabbed this knife, and I think his knives, I didn't realize they're so sharp. And I don't know. I, I, somehow between slicing the cake and doling it out, I looked down. <laughs> You're like, bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> no one else noticed, though. Anyway, so that's my piece of advice. Okay, let's move on. Think seasonally, number five. Yeah, so again, this is not so much advice in the like it's not a dogma i'm not saying like oh you can only eat things that were grown within 15 miles of your house and you know you know the farmer and right. all of that it's great if you can but it's good not good for you if you can i i understand that it's not possible for everyone to do that all the time i'm saying it be- for a couple of reasons one generally things are more delicious in the seasons in which they thrive so you're going to get more bang from your buck for the ingredients And then also just kind of as an organizing principle, you know, because there are about two jillion and a half recipes out there in the world. And it can be a little overwhelming Mm -hmm. every week when you start trying to plan out what you might want to eat that week or feed your family or even day to day. You're in the supermarket. There's a million things there. Kind of giving yourself some constraints can be helpful sometimes. So if you start with the ingredients that way and you think about what's best right now and use that as your sort of home base, you, you know, it just focuses your thinking a little bit. I like that idea. And, you know, it's not to say that if you want to have a BLT in February that you can't. But that said, sometimes using really good canned tomatoes on a BLT can be like an amazing thing that people never think of. So it's just an organizing principle that I think can help you stretch your muscles a little bit as a cook and try some things, some ingredients that maybe aren't, you know, just in um, the center aisle. Right. Right. I like that idea. That does help a lot because it's super overwhelming. Okay. Number six. So six has a little bit to do with what I was just saying, which is that I think it's very helpful, I know this, to plan ahead. And meal planning as a concept has really, I think, been a life changer for a lot of people. There's a lot of talk about it these days, especially in the internet. Yep. And the idea of sitting, you know, we did some stories about it this year. We did a feature about doing a lot of prep on the weekend yep. for yep. uh meals during the week. And I think that for people like you and me, and I know most everybody out there whose lives are chaotic, (laughs) and sometimes dinner time doesn't start till nine o'clock at night, 
it can be a godsend just to have a couple of versatile things done ahead of time and a game plan. But on the other hand, I would say don't be slavish to your plans and always leave a little bit of room for spontaneity because that's how you're going to learn. And that's really hard. It is hard. I mean, I think that I think about the planning, too, is that even if it's not for a weekday, if it's for a weekend and you're trying to and you figure out what you're going to make for dinner, even if you don't start it until, you know, as I've as I've complained Mm -hmm. many times in the show, don't start it till, you know, whatever in the afternoon and then you have to serve it in two hours and everybody's in your face. If you have it in your head that you're doing it, I think it's easier to actually do it in that way. Like if I've thought about what I'm making and I know that I know the basic steps, you're not doing it. You're not starting from scratch or you're not starting like fresh and getting overwhelmed. I agree. It's like a mental prep. It's a mental prep. And like envision the meal. And if you're doing something you haven't done before, make sure you actually know what's involved in oh, it. Oh gosh, seriously. <laughs> How many times have I not done that? But you know, it's I mean, it's easy for me to say all this, but the truth is I'm still working on all of these things too. And I do not plan everything out every week. I try and at least plan a couple of nights though, or I plan for the weekend so that I know that at least, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday will be okay. By Wednesday, things always get hairy. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think things go pear-shaped for most people. It's yeah. like starting Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> okay, seven. This is, this is like a very hard thing for me, number seven. I have so not gotten there yet. Okay, well, this is something I feel really strongly about. So maybe, maybe this can be like the first baby step for you. Okay. This commandment is, and this I want to say to everyone, is that recipes are just a guide. <laughs> and please That's so scary. Please don't feel shackled to them. You know, recipes obviously can be incredibly useful and look, I make my living dealing in them. But I think part of the journey of becoming a cook is to Find the times and the ways in which you feel comfortable straying from the strict instructions now and then. And, you know, the caveat being obviously this works less well with things like baking, Mm -hmm, (laughs) which are more precise. But, you know, your everyday kind of dinner, lunch recipes and all that. For a very long time, recipes were not written quite as precisely as they are today. That's really change of the last... 20 years Why or so. is that? I think that, you know, one reason is that there was an as- assumed that the reader had a sort of basic understanding yeah. of cooking for a long time that maybe went out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there was like a little more of a conversational tone in recipes. Things were not, measurements were not as precise or codified as they are now. It just has to do with style, too. I mean, honestly. Yeah. But... I think that there is something I find really, really appealing about the conversational tone of recipes that are a little bit looser that allow for the fact that sometimes you're going to have to make some changes on the fly or you might want to try a slightly different flavor combination. And I think it's one of the best ways you can learn as a cook is to just kind of pay attention to what works when you do follow a recipe and then start thinking about, 
okay, what really happened there? Like, why did it work? And how can I maybe use that same idea in a way that is like not a recipe, a non recipe? Mm-hmm. So it's like taking a recipe and learning from it in a way that you can then cook more improvisationally. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's something very appealing about that idea and that you gain independence in some ways. Like, I think always being beholden to a recipe as I am, you don't actually, it's, it's like using your GPS to mm-hmm. get somewhere. You don't actually learn where you're going. You just follow it blindly. And the thing is that if you are following recipes, you are learning. So I think it's just more a process of consciousness. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I want to try that. <laughs> I do want to try that. And I do think that there's, there's some things that if you start cooking them a lot because they've become favorites of people in your family or your friends, I think that's the kind of thing if you get the, the confidence in being able to master that thing with strictly following the recipe that you can start actually ad-libbing a little bit. Yeah, and so and that kind of brings me to the number eight, which is what I, I would say is like, Keep learning. Like once you master that thing, find something else that is like a reach for you to keep trying. And, you know, re- you know, you, there are a million ways to learn about food. Go to supermarkets that are unfamiliar to you, you know, ethnic markets or pick up cookbooks about, you know, at the library. You don't have to go buy them, but like about cuisines that you know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Play around. Try things that are really outside of your wheelhouse, and you might come away with some surprising revelations. And, you know, I mean, you can, like, play Iron Chef in your own supermarket. Just decide what is that bizarre thing in the produce aisle. I've never tried it before. I'm going to get to, and I'm going to Google it and see, like, what you could possibly do with it. Or play Iron Chef with your CSA. I mean, I think some people have CSAs now, and they get the most random things, random unidentifiable things in their boxes, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's a good challenge. Okay, nine I've mastered. Done. Don't even need to talk about it. <laughs> well, then Love why don't you take one. this one? Clean as you go. Yes. Oh, it's so important. My my dad and my one of my brothers are so not about cleaning as they go. But they both, my brother's an excellent cook. My dad thinks he's an excellent cook. And they'll be, you know, we'll be at home for holidays and they'll be like, oh, we got this, guys. We got this. Relax. <laughs> Go in the living room. Have a cocktail. And then my mom and I look at each other and we're like, oh, we're totally fucked. Yeah. You know you're going to pay for it later. Oh, it looks like there has been a hurricane and someone has been like violently ill and <laughs> Jackson Pollock all showed up in the kitchen at the same time. It is a nightmare to clean up. So, yes, clean as you go is so important. Yeah. And I think, you know, psychologically, the thing about that is just you're... I find I'm better able to enjoy the meal and or the, you know, sitting down with friends or my family if I'm not preoccupied with thinking about oh, the giant yeah. mess that I have to go deal 100%. with 100%. And again, this is a reason it behooves you to not have things that you don't need in your kitchen so that you won't be tempted to use like a million more plates and bowls or things like that than you actually need to while you're cleaning up. You can just prep in one bowl, put that aside, rinse it out, use it for something else. Yep. Or don't rinse it or out. Or don't. <laughs> or just don't. Okay, 10, love it. Let's. This is a good one to end on. Well, this is just something a, a benediction, if you will, which is that pie is completely a breakfast food. And I know this not only because it is how I live my own life, but I've done some historical research into this. And, you know, everyone from uh, the Founding Fathers to <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson – 
love to eat pie for breakfast, and I'm going to throw cake in there, too. Cake? So, yeah, let's just say let them eat cake. Banana bread is cake. Oh, let's yeah, not, banana like, bread is totally cake. Pretend. Muffins are cake. Let's not pretend. Yeah, all of those things, you have liberty and license to start your day with them, and if it makes, if helps you get through, by all means, go and do it. Okay, thank you for making sure history is on our side. Yes. And it is okay. I really like to live my life by the Founding Fathers and Emerson, so um, <laughs> that was a really nice way to end. Thank you so much for listening to Things Cook Snow. We will miss you. We'd like to thank our producer, Kristen Meinzer, and our editor, Tim Einenkel. For a million great cooking tips and tricks, you can always head to realsimple.com, or you can be old-fashioned and you can pick up an issue of Real Simple. And we want to make sure you know about two Real Simple podcasts that are still going very strong. One is Adulthood Made Easy, which is about navigating post-college life. And the other is The Labor of Love, about managing the everyday trials that come with a family, a spouse, and laundry. Basically the stuff that is killing us right now, (laughs) right? So we need to tune in. Both can be found on iTunes. And we can still be found on Twitter. You can tweet us at Sarah P. Humphreys and at SQ Karn. So long.